thank you that you lead us from grace to grace, God, and we claim and declare victory, Lord. Thank you that you died on that cross for us, Lord, that you loved us so, so much, Lord, that you paid our debt, Lord. So, God, we praise you and honor you, Lord. We bless every single person in this room, Lord. I pray that you would open our hearts, Lord, that we may receive from you, Lord, Father God, and that we would feel your Holy Spirit, Lord, Father, Lord. I pray over the remainder of this service, Lord. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would fill this place, Lord, that you would bless those who are coming to sing and speak, Lord. I pray that you would anoint them, Lord. ready. Thank you very much for having us here today. We're delighted to be here and share with you. Um, and as you heard through the worship set, and as we recognize it as Palm Sunday, it's, it's an interesting Sunday. It's, it's one where our Lord goes to Jerusalem knowing he's about to die, is exalted, but at the same time we know that only a few days later they're going to shout crucify him. Um, it's one of those kind of Sundays, which is very, um, it's, it's, I, as a musician, have a hard time with it all the time because I'm trying to figure out which one I want to emphasize. Of course, we're celebrating the victory that Christ has over death. This is, this is what this whole week is coming up um, about, and it starts with him. But we also recognize that um, we are sinful, and uh, we need that mercy, and we need that grace. Um, so we're going to be sharing two songs with you. The first one is our senior choir, and we're going to be doing a setting of Psalm 56, which is, Be merciful unto me, O God, for my soul cries out to you, we need your grace and mercy. The second piece um, will be our vocal jazz group, and that is a piece by Toby Mack. It's called Love Broke Through, which, of course, broke the shackles, broke those chains of sin. So here are the two songs, uh, Be Merciful Unto Me and Love Broke Through.
Feeling that breeze, singing like a song to the tall oak trees. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It was just another summer night, gotta be the last thing on my mind. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I was all but lost in the moment, young and running wide open. Through the 
church. He'll get me on in a minute. Good morning, church. Wow, don't you just love the enthusiasm of those young people? Thank them again for being here with us. Thank you so much. God bless you. Oh, that was awesome. I just have one word of encouragement for you, young people. Don't let that enthusiasm and your love for Jesus wane. Don't, don't let it just kind of fade away after you get out of school. But God has a purpose and a plan for every, one of, every single one of you. Using your talents, your gifts, the opportunities he gives you, continue to show that same enthusiasm to this world. And you can be world changers. He can change your world and your generation. All right? God bless you. 
Well, we're glad that you're here this morning on this Palm Sunday. Pastor Mark is a bit under the weather, if you'll be in, be in prayer for him. Uh, so we told him to stay home, and uh, we're hoping that he's watching online, and I'm sure that he is. So get well, Pastor Mark. We expect you to be back next week. Because next week is Easter. Did you forget? It's what is it's Easter? And what happens on Easter? Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's right too. Pancake breakfast because we're celebrating the resurrected Savior. And so 9.30 is a pancake breakfast. We expect to see you all here. And of course, uh, Good Friday service. Uh, and we uh, hope that you'll attend that. We have an awesome service planned for you. All the pastoral staff are going to be involved in sharing a bit of uh, the story um, that uh, goes along with Easter. So be in prayer for that. If you have your Bibles with you this morning, turn with me in them to Luke in chapter 19. Uh, have, you ever, have you ever been someplace where you, where you, you kind of, you looked at somebody and you said, I know that person, right? Have, how many of you have done that? Yeah, I know. You, you're walking through a mall or the grocery store or, or a shopping center and you go, I, I know that guy. And, and then the closer you get to them, you go, oh, no, that's not, that's not that guy, right? The case of mistaken identity. Um, on rare occasions, you know, people... Uh, people will be crossing a border and uh, going into another, another, maybe into the States, and, 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 and they will stop them and pull them aside because maybe they have the same name and maybe some similarities to somebody they're looking for. And, and it's a horrible thing because they pull them aside, they interrogate them, but it was a case of mistaken, what, identity. One time in my 20s, you guys, maybe some of you your age. I was home uh, for Christmas break from Bible school, and uh, a knock came on the door. And my, my mom went and answered the door. And there were these two guys uh, in black suits and narrow ties and pulled out a badge and said, Hi, we're from the FBI. Is Mark Barrett here? And I was standing behind my mom. And I want to tell you, I took off out the back door and jumped the fence and ran the alley, and these guys are chasing. No, that didn't happen at all. No, that, that didn't happen. <laughs> I, said, I said, yeah, here I am. And my mom said, come on in. What, what do you need? So they sat down and began to interrogate me. Have you been to such and such place? Yes, I have. Have you been over here? Yeah, yes, yes, I have. Have you been there? No, I, never, I don't think I've been there. Could we get your handwriting, sample of your handwriting? Yes. They came to my Bible school and they talked to the president. And uh, they brought me in and did another interview. And I didn't know what was going on. They never really told me what was going on. But I thought, wow, this sounds pretty serious. Come to find out there was some guy who was writing bad checks. And he happened to be in some of the same places where I had been at the same bank where I did my banking, and, and uh, he had been at some of the same locations where I had been, and, and, and they were building a case against me. Can you imagine? And, and luckily, uh, about a month later, they, they came and they said, hey, we caught the guy. Here's his picture. He was a, like an old guy, you know? He didn't even look like me. 
But his name was Mark Barrett, and there were just enough coincidences along the way that they were building a case against me. But it was a case of what? Mistaken identity. Maybe you've been in that place. When Jesus rode into Jerusalem on Sunday prior to, to his death, the, the people totally mistook him. A case of mistaken identity. I mean, they obviously didn't understand the message of Jesus for three and a half years as, as he had been telling them who he was and what he came to do and what, what, what he, how he came to save them. They didn't, maybe they weren't listening. Short-term memory loss. I don't know. But when he rode into Jerusalem that day on the back of the donkey, it was evident that they didn't really get the whole message. They didn't understand the whole story. Something got lost in the translation. They didn't see him for who he really was. It's, it's a little bit like when I'm having a, wife, a conversation with my wife and she'll say, I want to go to this. I don't have very good hearing sometimes, right? But it's not what it used to be. And she'll say, I'd like to go to the store. And I'd say, well, I can't help it if I snore. Right? Have you had that? Some guys? Yeah? I'd like some more. Well, you want to go to the store? You know, I mean, it's like, (laughs) you don't hear right sometimes, right? And that's kind of what happened to the people listening to Jesus. They didn't understand the story. Well, let me give you the context. Luke chapter 19, beginning in verse 28. And when he had said these things, he he went on ahead, going up to Jerusalem. And when he drew near to Bethphage and Bethany at the mount that is called Olivet, he sent two of the disciples saying, go into the village in front of you, where on entering you will find a colt tied on which no one has ever yet sat. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, uh, where are you un- why are you untying it? Well, you say this to them. The Lord has need of it. The Lord has need of it. Those, those two disciples must have been scratching their heads when Jesus asked them to go into the town and, and get this animal, this colt. Because none of the Gospels ever mention Jesus riding anything anywhere. And all of a sudden, he's asking for a cult. Imagine the hundreds and hundreds of miles they must have walked as they traveled around the Holy Land, but the Bible never mentions him riding anything anywhere except sometimes on a boat, and then sometimes he just walked across the water. <laughs> and all of a sudden, he gives them this unusual command to go into the village and get a colt that had never been ridden and bring it to him. It must have been a strange command to their ears, but I don't know, if it were me, I would have said, just one? Like, could I get one too? I've been walking a lot of miles, it's been hot. Like, could we get a cult too? Like, I wouldn't have been a very good apostle. <laughs> he even tells them the very exact words that they were to say. If anybody asks them what they're doing, he, he, they were to say, the Lord has need of it. So I don't know, was this all prearranged, or did the owners know who Jesus was? And I don't know, we just don't know, except that this is God in the flesh, and he can do stuff like this. But what we do know is that Jesus knew exactly what he was going to face in the city of Jerusalem, 
And that must have made his decision to go to Jerusalem that much more difficult. Maybe one of the most difficult ones he had ever made. And on top of, the, on top of all of that, he rode into Jerusalem riding a colt rather than walking as he normally had done. And that was difficult because riding a colt into the city was a public declaration that he was a king. You see, in times of war, conquering kings would ride on a prancing stallion. But in times of peace, the king would ride a colt to symbolize peace. And so Jesus riding into Jerusalem on a colt would have been to declare himself to be a king. Let's look at the response from the crowd. If people had have been listening to his teaching, they would have recognized that his kingdom was not of this world, but, but rather that it was a spiritual kingdom and that, and that he was not a physical king, but he was a spiritual king. But as we know, they didn't hear that part of the story. He had been teaching them that for three and a half years, and they still had not heard, they had not learned the lesson. And I'm sure amongst the crowd, however, there would have been those who greeted him who laughed at him. Uh, they would have been amused at what he was doing. After all, he was a carpenter declaring himself to be a king. Uh, maybe they thought he had lost his mind, that he was imagining himself to be the king. And so they would have been laughing at him. And there would have been those in the crowds who would be angry with him because uh, they would interpret his riding into Jerusalem as a king as a sign of pride and of arrogance and even blasphemy against God. But then there were many who welcomed him with joy. But you see, their mistake was that they welcomed him as an earthly king coming to establish an earthly kingdom and and to overthrow their oppressors, the Romans. They were eager to put a crown on his head. And then there was those in the crowd whom I'm certain that he had healed. Some amongst them were ones who he had fed. Many of them had witnessed his miracles and listened to him as he spoke with authority. And some of them had had their lives changed. And Jesus knew all of them. He knew all of the faces in the crowd. He also knew that looming over the horizon was the cross of Calvary. And yet, Luke chapter 9 and verse 51 says, When the days drew near for him to be taken up, he set his face to go to Jerusalem. Look what he sees as he nears Jerusalem. Remember that this is the Passover season. Hundreds and thousands of people are streaming into the city to celebrate Passover, to be at the temple. But even before he gets there, news begins to spread that Jesus is on his way. And people are spreading news about how, whom just days earlier... He had raised Lazarus from the dead. Lazarus, remember, had been in a tomb. He was buried. He was dead. They had grave cloths on him. And Jesus came and spoke the words, Lazarus, come out. And he came out. And he stood at the tomb's door. And he said, unwrap him. And they unwrapped 
dead Lazarus. And now he's alive and news is beginning to spread around the city. Jesus, the one who raises the dead, is coming to town. Can you imagine the mayhem that must have been happening as people recognized that this miracle worker was coming into their midst and they wanted to be with him and touch him and hear him, hear him preach. And the news spread from one person to the next until, until when Jesus was ready to enter the city, this huge crowd had collected on either side of the road and they had cut palm branches and were shouting, Hosanna to the king! Hosanna to the king! Of course, palm branches symbolized goodness and, and joy and triumph. And Hosanna means save now. So they were saying, Jesus, save now! Save now! And so they were welcoming Jesus as the triumphant king who would save them from their oppression. Not their sin, but their oppression. And Jesus knew them all. Jesus knew what they were going through, what they were thinking about as he rode into Jerusalem. He understood what the crowd was excited about. Let's read the account. Beginning in verse 36. And as he rode along, they spread their cloaks on the road. And as he was drawing near, already on the way down the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of his disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that they had seen, saying, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And as Jesus rode through that crowd. He looked into the eyes of his audience and he saw a mixture of expressions on their faces. There were those who loved him. Maybe Bartimaeus was there. Remember Bartimaeus? The man in Jericho who, who, who yelled out to Jesus, Jesus, heal me. Jesus of Nazareth. And he stopped along the road and he, and he touched Bartimaeus and healed him and now he has traded in his beggar's clothes for a brand new suit of clothes. And maybe Zacchaeus was in the crowd. Remember Zacchaeus, a little man in the sycamore tree who changed his life completely after he met Jesus. Jesus changed his life and he paid his retribution to society. Maybe Zacchaeus was there and the lepers their skin had been cleansed and now they're rejoicing for the healing that the Lord had given to them. And, and maybe, maybe Jairus' daughter was there. The one whom Jesus has raised from the dead. So now not only had he raised Lazarus, but he raised Jairus' daughter back from the dead. And of course, there was Mary and Martha and Lazarus, and they were all there rejoicing over how Jesus had absolutely changed their lives. But there were sinister faces in the crowd as well. Faces with squinty eyes, just waiting for him to say one wrong word, to make one mistake. Those would have been the Sadducees and the Pharisees, they were supposed to be the keepers of the law, but Jesus had gained so much popularity that now their popularity had been threatened, and so they're full of jealousy and resentment, and the Romans were there too. 
they would have been afraid of a revolt. And, and so they were watching for signs of any kind of rebellion against Rome. And so they would have been ready and waiting to crush any kind of uprising against them. And, and Jesus realizes that as he listens to the hosannas that in not too many hours from then, the sinister voices would drown out the voices of love. And that those crying for him to be the king would soon be crying, crucify him, crucify him. Or in the very least, standing by, not saying anything at all. Now, as we approach verse 41, Jesus is descending along the road from the Mount of Olives. The picture on your screen is what basically he would have been seeing This is the same road, the same journey that Jesus took. He's coming down off of the Mount of Olives, and he's looking over Jerusalem. And he nears the brook Kidron, which is at the bottom of that valley, towards the eastern gate, which was the most direct route to where the temple once stood. And the the slide that you see now is the eastern gate. Of course, it's sealed now which was sealed by the Muslim Ottoman Sultan Suleiman. You see, as Christians, we believe that when Jesus comes again, he's coming through that eastern gate. But Solomon, he said, I'm going to seal it up so he can't get through. (laughs) Isn't that funny? Like he can't get through, right? (laughs) He goes, boom. (laughs) They seal it up. And the crowds, this is the gate that he went through because the temple is right on top of that. And the crowds are gathering. They're thronging all around him. I wonder how the disciples were reacting to all of this. I've always thought that maybe Judas, of all people, would be ecstatic because I think he wanted an earthly kingdom more than anybody else. And Peter... He's probably walking with his chest out, you know. Finally, I'm getting some glory, you know, for leaving my fishing business. Finally, somebody's recognizing me for who I am, right? Peter, pompous Peter. There would have been Thomas. He'd be a bit skeptical of everything, wondering what was going to happen next. And, and I see Andrew. Well, Andrew is a little bit overwhelmed by the whole crowd thing because he's used to bringing people to Jesus like one-on-one, small group thing. Like he wasn't into the big crowds. And so this would have been overwhelming for him. And what about James and John, the sons of thunder? I mean, they're going, yay, Jesus is going to be on the throne and we're going to sit on his right hand on his left. You think so? I think maybe they had that in their mind. They were all there. In Jerusalem, the loving faces, the sinister faces, the anxious apostles, the crowds were almost trampling one another, and then the procession stops. And it's kind of like rush hour in Edmonton, right? I mean, what the first car stops, and then And then the next one, and the next one, and pretty soon you've got miles of cars, and the guy in the back is going, hey, what's going on out there? You know, get out of the way. And maybe that's the way it was. Maybe there's some still standing on the top of Mount Olive, and 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 they're yelling down, hey, get the crowd going, right? But then those who were nearest to Jesus looked and knew that it was him. 
who stopped the procession. Verse 41. And they looked at Jesus and maybe they saw a bit of a tremble. And a tear trickled down his face. Because when he drew near and saw the city, he wept over it. There are many occasions in scriptures where we see where Jesus became emotional. When he saw the poor and the hungry and the people sinning, the Bible said that he had compassion upon them. But there are only three times in scriptures where we see where Jesus wept. Jesus cried at the tomb of Lazarus when he entered into the emotion of Mary and Martha and the others. And this reminds us that Jesus understands our laments and our despairs. And he wept, wept over Jerusalem. And finally, he will weep in the Garden of Gethsemane, which reminds us that he understands our moments of desperation. But why was Jesus weeping over Jerusalem? I mean, this was a moment of celebration, not weeping, wasn't it? But think about this with me for a minute. Jesus looked into the faces and the eyes of those who were surrounding him, and he looked into Jerusalem itself, and he realized the emptiness in their lives. You might think, really? They all seem so happy. But the reality is that they had missed the message of Jesus entirely. Look at the text, verse 41. And when he drew near and saw the city, he wept over it, saying, Would that you, even you, had known on this day the things that make for peace, but now they're hidden from your eyes. For the days will come upon you when your enemies will set up a barricade around you and surround you and hem you in on every side and tear you down to the ground, you and your children within you, and they will not leave one stone upon another in you because you did not know the time of your visitation. No matter where Jesus looked, he found reason to weep. He looked back and he saw how the nation had wasted their opportunities and had been ignorant of their time of visitation from God. And he looked within and saw the spiritual ignorance and the blindness in the hearts of the people who were there rejoicingly, seemingly. They should have known who he was because God had given him them his word and had given the prophets to prepare them. And he looked around and he saw the religious activity that accomplished very little. The temple had become a den of thieves. The religious leaders were out to kill him. The city was filled with pilgrims celebrating a festival, but whose heart was filled with sin and the burdens of life. And then when Jesus looked ahead, he wept as he saw the terrible judgment that was about to befall them on Jerusalem and the temple because in 70 AD the Romans would come and after a siege of 143 days, 600,000 Jews would be killed and thousands would be taken captive and God's holy temple would be absolutely destroyed. Why? Because the people didn't know that God had visited them. 
John chapter 1, verse 11, he came to his own, and his own did not receive him. Luke chapter 19 and verse 14, but his citizens hated him and sent a delegation after him saying, we do not want this man to reign over us. And I wonder today, do we weep for our city? Do we weep for our friends and our family who do not yet know the Savior Jesus Christ? Do we weep for our nation? Do we weep for our world who doesn't know Christ, who has not recognized his visitation? Do we long to want our world, our family, our friends, our city to recognize Jesus for who he is and turn to him for salvation? You see, the fact that they were waving palm branches showed that they didn't understand because that's the same thing they did when the Maccabees overthrew uh, Syrian oppressors and reestablished worship in the temple. By waving palm branches, they were saying that they wanted Jesus to be a warlord, another general in their armies. They were saying that they were ready to pick up their sword and their shield and go to war if Jesus would just lead them. And Jesus says, no, no, no. I didn't come for that purpose. That's not the reason I'm here. I came for a more excellent way. I came to show you the way of love. He had said to them earlier in Luke chapter 6, verse 27, but I say, but I say to you who hear, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who abuse you. To one who strikes you on the cheek, offer the other also. And from one who takes away your cloak, do not withhold your tunic either. Give to everyone who begs from you. And from one who takes away your goods, do not demand them back. And those who were listening to Jesus must have thought to themselves, those are really, really good words, but you can't assume or imagine that he's talking about the Romans, can you? Nobody would expect us to love the Romans, not them. And Jesus says, yes, them too. Love even Rome. Why? Because Rome knows the, 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 the might of their army, and they've seen the power of the, the sword, but they have not experienced the power of love. Yes, The Romans, too. You see, they they had the opportunity to show Rome something new and different, but because they didn't understand Jesus and because they completely misunderstood his mission, Jesus wept over them because the opportunity would be taken away from them and they would never have it again. And all of this because they didn't recognize the Messiah when he came. And I can't imagine how different their lives would have been had they recognized him. And how different the history of Israel may have been had they, had they just recognized the one who had come in their midst riding on a coal to be the savior of their sin. It's Matthew who adds this in, in Matthew chapter 23 and verse 37. 
when he, when he quotes Jesus as saying, Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it, how often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings, and you were not willing. I can't help but wonder when Jesus looks at us today, and he sees the multitude of faces and expressions on our faces, what he really sees in us. Or does he see something else? Does he see a people of real faith, uh, worshiping him because of who he is and following him as our spiritual king? Or does he see people who are so busy and so concerned about other things and so preoccupied with their own lives that we fail to recognize that true worship is not, listen, it's not just about showing up, but about engaging in a living God who wants to be at the center of our lives at every single level of it. And when Jesus turns and looks at our lives, I wonder if he'll weep once again because of what he sees. Or will he rejoice with outstretched arm and say, Well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of the Lord. Listen, if you've never received Jesus Christ for who he is, Savior and Lord and King, the the dominion that he brings, his kingdom, if you've never received his kingdom for what it really is, if you've never received him as the savior of your life, as the Lord of your life, the one who takes the rulership of your life, if you've never done that, he's inviting you, just like Jesus did, to come to him, to be the savior of your life, to be the ruler of your life, and I invite, I invite you to do that right now as we pray. Will you bow in prayer with me? Lord Jesus, thank you for coming and showing us God. Thank you for revealing to us what it means to be a disciple and how to follow you. Thank you for, for, for allowing us to worship you as the king not a king, but the king of the universe who wants to be the ruler and king of our lives. And perhaps there's somebody here today listening online or in this sanctuary who has never truly bowed the knee to you and said, Lord, be my king. They've just shown up like the crowds. But they've never invited you to be their king and their savior. I pray they'll do that today. And you could simply say to him, Lord Jesus, Forgive me for my sins. I acknowledge today that you're the king, the Lord. And I want you to be my king and my Lord. Take the rulership of my life. Help me to follow you. I want you to be my savior. I want to be a part of your family. So your heads are bowed. If there's somebody here today who said a prayer like that, would just quickly raise your hand? I'd like to pray for you as we close. You said a prayer like that. Lord Jesus, come into my heart. If there's somebody online today who said a prayer like that, please let us know. We'd like to encourage you and help you to grow in your faith. Lord Jesus, thank you. Thank you that, that you've called us, that you've redeemed us, that you've made us your own. We worship you today. We praise you, Lord, for all that you've done. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. The choir is going to come back and...
and uh, share a couple more songs with us. God bless you guys.
This is our story. This is our song. So we'd like to challenge you um, and bless you with this idea of who's going to be a witness uh, for the story, for what Christ has done for us. Uh, our final song is Who is a Witness? It recounts two biblical figures that probably aren't our first choices for witnesses. <laughs> um, so listen carefully f- uh, to those, who those people are. But if they can be witnesses, we all can be witnesses. And so uh, this is our challenge for you. Again, thanks very much.
so much for coming. We appreciate you so much. And bless you on your tour. I guess you're on a tour, right? Is that all right? How many more do you have to go? Monday to full day. Oh, and here, here. in Edmonton. Awesome. So where is that going to be? Okay, McDougal United Church. So if you want to show up and hear them, that'd be awesome. God bless you. We'll pray for you. God, we just thank you for these young people. We pray for their tour that you would just continue to use them and bless others through them. Empower them by the Holy Spirit, Lord, to be a blessing to many. And we thank you for this time together. Bless us as we go now in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless. Have a great day.